Welcome to Star Talk All Stars. I'm your All Star host, David Grinspoon, aka Dr. Funky Spoon on Twitter. I'm an astrobiologist and senior scientist at the Planetary Science Institute. And my co host today, you know him well, Dr. Chuck Nice. <laughs> I just made you an honorary doctor. You just made me an honorary doctor. <laughs> and all of academia mourns. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got the wisdom, Chuck. <laughs> Thanks Good. a lot for being here. Always a pleasure. You know I love doing the shows with you, Dr. Funky Spoon. Oh, yeah. It's always good to see you and, and do this with you. And um, tonight, we're going to be talking about communicating climate change, the stories we tell yeah. about climate. And to help us out, we've brought on Dr. Kate Marvel. Climate superhero. Climate superhero. Kate Marvel, that is like a superhero name. It's so cool. Um, Dr. Marvel is an associate research scientist at, Na at NASA Goddard Institute for Space Studies. We call it GISS. GISS. And Columbia Engineering's Department of Applied Physics and Mathematics. She's a um, science communicator of um, great renown. She writes regularly for Scientific American. Um, they, they've got a hot planet online column that she contributes to regularly um and she she had a recent piece in there that that caught my attention that i think we're going to be talking about a little bit called slaying the climate dragon uh thanks for being here today kate thank you so much for having me really excited yeah it's it's gonna be fun um it, it caught my attention when i was just kind of looking over your your website and uh and doing my research a little bit um that you represent yourself not just as a climate scientist, which is the main way that I, I know your work, but also as a storyteller. And I thought that was a great combination, especially um, given the topic we're going to be discussing today. And given the fact that um, those of us involved in science communication and in climate um, have found that it's so fraught trying to communicate about this. Yeah. And um, you know, that, that sometimes we just, we just sort of, sort of feel helpless. And, um, one thing that people have been talking about a lot lately is, um, how, how the power of story in, um, in getting people to realize things or just, just, just in moving people. Um, so I thought it would be great to have you on and, and talk about that, the kind of, kind of stories we tell, um, and, and the role of storytelling in communicating about, about this difficult subject. Um, could you maybe start off by telling us about slaying the climate dragon? What, what's that all about? And, and, and how did that uh, occur to you to, to describe climate change in that way? So um, I, I should say um, I should probably change my website to attempted storyteller um, because <laughs> climate change is really hard to tell stories about, you know? It's it's really big. It's really diffuse. There's kind of no heroes. Mm. We're all the villains. Um it just is really hard to to tell good stories about something as big and as scary as climate change mm. um, because there's the danger that you tell people, well, it's all going to be terrible and that's a bad story where everybody you love dies and there's no hope. Um, good thing I don't love anybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chuck, we know that's not true. <laughs> uh, right. But like it's. It's just really hard to tell stories about this. And yeah. you're totally right. People don't listen to just facts. People, we, we have this kind of charming belief as scientists. We're like, oh man, we just, we need to find the graph. We need to find the graph that will convince people. And, and there is no graph that will convince people. There's no table. 
Um, and with some, the, some people respond to graphs and facts, but they tend to be the people that we don't have trouble <laughs> reaching. Yeah. But obviously, a lot of people don't respond to those. I was going to say the people that respond to graphs and charts are you guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're the other scientists. See, if, 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 if the whole world was just nerds like us, things would be easy. It's true. <laughs> right, totally. Yeah. Um, so with this, are you guys? Did you guys see this report that came out um, on a, a degree and a half of warming? Yes, the recent IPCC, IPCC. report. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that came out. Um, and that was getting a surprising amount of press. Um, I was actually really, really happy to see how much attention that got. Um, and there are a lot of scientists who were weighing in, and I thought doing a really great job at talking about the science in this report and talking about the implications of it. Um, so I kind of felt like I don't need to be out there talking about the science because my colleagues, like, they got it. You know, they're, they're on this. Um, but I was trying to think of a way to sort of tell this in a really simple sort of fairy tale, like kid story. Um, I have a two-year-old. I read about a billion books to him every night because he really does not want to go to bed. Um, and, And so that was kind of what was running through my head at that time. Cool. So basically, you wrote this to put everyone to sleep. Exactly. No, exactly. <laughs> no, but I mean, a good a, a good children's story, a good parable is. I mean, that's really the basis of all literature. That's what we all started off right. learning. And there, there's a lot of really powerful stories that are wrapped up in in parables. So I kind of I kind of like the way you did that. But but t- tell us, uh, can can you paraphrase the story? I mean, what is what is the dragon in this story? Sure. The story is about a um, a a village or an enchanted kingdom that angers an evil witch who may not be evil and may just be kind of sick of everything that's going on. Misunderstood. Misunderstood witch. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Aren't all witches just misunderstood? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Definite yes. Um, But um, their magical elixir that makes their every wish come true becomes cursed and has the power to wake dragons. So they want to know what to do about these dragons and they convene the wise men and women of the kingdom and the wise men and women say best to to not have another dragon let's try our best to at least if we can't deal with this one at least not have another dragon Hmm. Um, and then that turns out to perhaps be impossible but maybe maybe we could half slay a dragon Maybe we could just have half of a dragon lying around and maybe like a lizard, it's still it's still alive. It's still dangerous. Um, but but maybe this is something that we could do. Um, and the fairy tale doesn't have a definitive ending because it's still to be written. So it strikes me that there are there are different endings to this fairy tale. So right. either we could say there's no dragon. I don't believe in dragons. Dragons are a liberal conspiracy <laughs> and then yeah. the kingdom tears itself apart. Or we could say, well, you know. Dragons are inevitable. There's nothing we can do, and and slaying dragons is really expensive. So let's let's just not do it. And then the kingdom is destroyed by dragons. Um, but the the thing that I think is maybe makes this not a good kid story is that there really is no happy ending possible. There's oh. there's a dragon loose in the kingdom. There already is one, and maybe you can't prevent that other dragon, but you try. Wow, that's it. That's interesting. I wow, bet, I bet we could come up <laughs> and, with a and good night, Timmy. <laughs> <laughs> I bet we could come up with a reasonably happy ending. I don't know. I hope so. I mean, it, I like this because the magical elixir, of course, it, is basically car- uh, oil. I think. Um, I hope I, I'm, I'm interpreting this right. And and that's that's kind of a cool thing to tell because people 
ought to realize that actually fossil fuels, when we first started using them, they were this wonderful thing, and we had no way of knowing really that they were going to be changing the world. It was really a pretty innocent mistake. It's like what we do now that we're that we are fully aware of that that is you know gives us this horrible responsibility. But you know, it, there a lot of wonderful things have come out of. The amount of energy we've, you know, we look at what's happened to poverty in the world, and mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's the it's the the modern world is built on fossil fuels, and there's a lot about it that's that's pretty great. Absolutely. So it really kind of was a magical elixir that turned bad, yeah. and now it's like, what are we going to do with that knowledge? It's funny you say that. I was on a flight. And I don't mean to detract, but uh, I was on a flight with a guy who worked for I won't say what company. All right, but we all know the company. <laughs> It's a huge, huge, huge um, um, fossil fuel burning company. Does it have two X's? In the <laughs> yeah. Middle? Well, you know, <laughs> like, it, it may be like Dos Equis. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, we somehow, of course, got on the subject of climate change because he was like, oh, you do that show with Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson. And he was like, yeah, you guys, man. And so he, he proceeded to basically be a climate denier. And I said to him, I'm going to give you a pass because your whole livelihood is based on this. So I don't expect you to. But the truth is, like, you know, it, 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 it is real. Um, and, um, and burning this stuff, it does have its consequences. And he said exactly what you just said, David. He said, hey, man, I defy you. To tell me what the world would be like without petroleum. And he went petroleum. Just petroleum. Well, yeah. He said, right. just petroleum. Go ahead and tell, forget oil. Just give me that. And I went, dude, you got no, I understand it. Every plastic, every, you pick up a comb. Guess what? That's fossil fuel. You know what I mean? You, it's, it's everywhere, you know, but that doesn't change the fact that it's dangerous. Well, I now. mean, he's right. But what would the world be like? What will the world be like if we don't deal with what we know now about petroleum? So it's right. like, that's the magical elixir, but now we got to deal with the dragon. <laughs> that's the thing. Like, I feel like people love energy. Like I love energy. Like I live in New York city. I love air conditioning. Yeah. Um, you know, I I'm very low energy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Now I feel traumatized. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Please, Chuck. <laughs> but, you know, very few people love coal. You know, maybe maybe that guy is an exception, but very few people love oil. Oh. You know, oh. people like what it does. Oh. And the thing is, we can make other stuff do that, right? Yeah. I mean, we used to run our segments of our civilization on whale oil. And uh, that was great for a while. And then, you know, Unless we were a whale. We real, well, yeah, but we, you know, I think at one point uh, the, the, the cost of that started to be realized. And for, for one thing, the whales, there weren't many left, but also people realize it's not a good thing to uh, get rid of all the whales. And so we don't do that anymore. The energy was fine, but then we realized it wasn't a sustainable source. We're, oh. we're at that place now with our current energy sources. I love that story because it's this like gradual moving away from evil. Like we literally used to set right. fire to whales. Yes. And, you know, now we like dig up dead stuff and we set fire to that. And now, you know, maybe we can take the next step in the evil chain and become less evil still. 
Yeah, and we didn't. Uh, people didn't realize it was evil when they were first doing it. Okay, maybe you know, like now we think of it, and it's hard to because we love whales. But I think also now we know that whales are these sentient creatures. That at that point they were like these sea monsters, and they seemed infinite, and they you could get the oil and you know and and uh, make make energy. And um, so we we learn new things, and it changes the moral landscape. And that's happened now with uh with fossil fuels and that and so i like i like your parable because um it it sort of um goes through that evolution but wouldn't the happy ending be that we um we sort of tame the dragon in some way and and uh, accommodate um uh, l- l- learn to uh, get get other magical elixirs and kind of put the dragon in its place i mean that we got to find a happy ending do we <laughs> do we cuz i mean this is something that i really struggle with because everybody is like tell us you know, people of very good faith are like, tell yeah. us what to do so that everything is going to be okay. And we've kind of ruled out everything being okay. You know, we oh. have warmed the planet m- more than a degree Celsius from pre-industrial. Yes, we have. Like, there is already a dragon. And maybe you're going to be safe from the dragon. Maybe I'm going to be safe from the dragon. But there isn't going to be a happy ending Well, okay. For so some the, people. No, absolutely that's true. So, I mean, there's no ending in which the part of the town doesn't get burned down by the dragon. Yeah. But there's an ending in which there's still a town after the dragon. Yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, that's what we're going for. We've, I think we've gotten to the point, uh, and we're talking in parable here, but it's pretty obvious what we're saying, I hope. We've gotten to the point where uh, we're probably out of the zone where there's going to be no global damage from climate change. And yet there's still a huge range of trajectories of how much damage there'll be and what kind of future we can create mm-hmm. post-fossil fuels. And so um, there are, you know, and, and actually a lot of good fairy tales um, bad things happen and then the world ends up being okay, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's that's probably a good kind of story for kids to learn because uh, that, or, or just it makes for a more interesting story because there, in, in real life there's often damage and then we find an accommodation to that. Hmm. Yeah, I guess it would be a really boring story if it was like everything was fine forever and nothing bad ever happened to anybody. Like that would also be a bad story. You know what? I like that story. <laughs> <laughs> Call me naive and childlike, but yeah. I'm like, I'm going to sleep well tonight if that's the story you tell me. You know, I want to hear that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I want to move on to talking about about some other stories. Um, you know, one thing I hear a lot about these days, and I'm sure you do too, being in this space of climate communication is the sort of stories of inevitable doom. Hmm. And that's, um, you know, in a way, that's almost something that we maybe have accidentally created, those of us who have wanted to spread concern about climate change, because it's kind of a, it's a slippery slope. You spread concern and then people decide we're doomed. And then you don't want them to decide we're doomed and there's nothing they can do about it. But that's it, – it's almost like you got to it's, – it's a tricky balance. One hears these days um, a lot of stories about how we are inevitably doomed and there's nothing we can do. And that's something that really concerns me. I got, I got in a Twitter spat with this guy um, – what's his name? Roy um, Scranton, I think, who wrote uh, um, How to Die in the Anthropocene. Um, and, and he wrote this other book called We're Doomed. And he was saying – he thinks it's really irresponsible for climate scientists to say we've got to keep fighting and got to change our behavior because we're sunk and there's nothing we can do about it. And the human race is just over. And what we really ought to be doing is just accommodating that fact. What? And it, and it, and it, it, it ticked me off because, um, yeah, we want people to be concerned, but you don't want them to flip over and just assume, well, it's over. So there's no, there's nothing to work on here. Um, is that something you've, you've encountered in your, um, 
your uh, travels through the climate communication space? I have. I mean, there seems to be, you know how you don't win an Oscar for doing a comedy ever? Like you win an Oscar for doing like- Tell the, me about right? it. Right? <laughs> like you win an Oscar for doing like the most depressing heavyweight movie because exactly. we kind of associate this with sort of gravitas. And so I do perceive that there is kind of, people are trying to prove that they're very serious by saying, oh, well, people are terrible and we're mm. all doomed. Right. Um, and so I understand understand where that comes from. Um, it's not true. Um, so I, I have a colleague, Ben Cook at NASA, who likes to say um, climate change isn't pass fail. Um, right. And, and I think that's, that's, a, that's, that's a great so good, right? Yes. Because yes. maybe we're not, I mean, maybe a degree and a half of warming is not possible. You know, maybe we're going to blow past that limit. Maybe we're going to blow past two degrees. But a two-degree world is different than a three-degree world, which is different than a four-degree world. And so doomed is not really one thing um that's so that's so right on i'm I, i'm glad to hear you say that i'm glad to hear your, your colleague is saying that because yeah people tend to think of it as an either or mm -hmm. we're going off the cliff or everything's going to be fine and neither right. of those is true it's, it's not Thelma and it's Louise. a trajectory a complex trajectory of damage and hopefully not too much damage and then things that come after the damage right. life life will go on and people te do tend to think of it as either or and, you know, it's like the asteroid's going to hit us or it's going to miss us. Yeah. And that's not the right metaphor. It's funny because when you say you're doomed, I liken it to uh, the Titanic syndrome. Nobody was on the Titanic going, all right, guys, let's pull together and fix this ship. <laughs> no, nobody. Because it was like, dude, we're going down. And so it's let's get in the lifeboat. Let's save myself. You, you don't think about how you can solve anything in that scenario. All you think about is, dude, we're going to die. And so, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure serving with you. And you just let the band play. And that's it. Yeah, I mean, in this case, there is an iceberg, maybe, but it's kind of far off, and we can still steer the ship. I don't even know if that's the right analogy. Well, no, I'm talking about gonna, you've hit the iceberg. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, we haven't hit. You the, haven't hit it. We haven't hit the iceberg. We're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, climate stories and maybe 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 better uh, analogies and metaphors some more in a few minutes. But right now, we're gonna um, take a little break, and uh, we'll be back with some cosmic queries and with more Star Talk All Stars right after this. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Star Talk All Stars. I'm your host, David Grinspoon, aka Dr. Funky Spoon. Co hosting with me today is Chuck Nice. That's right. And joining us as our expert guest is NASA scientist and storyteller, Dr. Kate Marvel. Hello. And uh, we've been talking about uh, climate change stories, um, the value of them, how they can sometimes uh, maybe be the wrong stories. And yeah, this one of, of uh, certain doom is problematical. The analogy that I often hear, maybe because I'm in planetary science, is of the asteroid. There's an asteroid that's going to hit us. And scientists have detected this asteroid, but nobody's listening. And so it's just going to hit us. And I, I think that's, that's a wrong, that's not the right analogy, because with an asteroid, it either hits or doesn't hit. It kind of is pass-fail. And if you tweak the trajectory a little bit, you can make it miss entirely. Um, but uh, climate change isn't like that. It's not just one event. It's mm -hmm. a whole series of possible paths, mm -hmm. some of which, as we've been discussing, we're clearly not going to avoid, right. but some of which we still can. And that leads us to this, this thorny uh, realm of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uncertainty is one of the things that uh, 
scientists are, are aware of and we have our own vocabulary to speak of, but it's one of the things that's hard to communicate. And maybe, yeah. maybe stories can come in there too. And th- there's more than one kind of uncertainty. First of all, nobody knows if it's going to be 1.5 degrees or 2 degrees or or six degrees or seven degrees. There's oh, that. Un- there's that uncertainty. Both, <laughs> both because we don't know what humans are going to do with right. our energy, and we don't fully understand the response of the climate system to what we do. Okay. And then further, we don't really know what two degrees means. Right. We have models that tell us two degrees means some scary things. It might mean this much sea level rise. It might mean this much sea level rise. We think it's going to mean this about storms and this about ice and we have some idea but even with that there's a range so so add all that up and there's a huge range of possibilities we really don't know what's going to happen and yet that uncertainty of course is used by deniers or whatever you want to call them i'm not sure i like that term but it's used by skeptics i don't like that term either to to say oh well you guys don't know what you're talking about there's nothing to worry about and we know enough i think we all agree to know uh, that that we need to act in certain ways but within that's a good point what you just said right there we know enough that we need to act right so how do you how do you communicate that you know um in in a in a very effective manner where you're not being an alarmist but you are creating urgency I'm, i'm just asking yeah i mean i kind of feel like it's appropriate to be an alarmist if something is genuinely alarming okay right okay um and that's so, true the house is on fire the house is on fire right. and so that's a know, real like, deal yeah like fire alarmist no like you get out of the house if it's <laughs> right. on fire um right what you don't and, do is say so we're just going to sit here because it's all burning down there's right? nothing we can do <laughs> like can you can you predict to the nanosecond when i'm going to be burned to a crisp no like there is uncertainty Dude, there but like such a fire alarmist get out of the house right <laughs> Like, is that what you call a smoke detector now? (laughs) Exactly. God, with its beeping and that incessant racket. (laughs) What the hell is wrong with that thing? Oh, that's too funny. But like, I feel like, so for me, the uncertainty is one of the scary things, right? Because so if we knew exactly what climate change meant and exactly when it was going to happen. So Chuck, do you live in New Jersey? Yeah, I do. Okay. What town? I don't want to say on the oh, air. Oh, okay. Can, <laughs> but, you, can, can you make up a town in New Jersey? What's, what's okay. your address? Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I'll tell you this much. I live right on the river. Okay. So let's call it right on the river, Right New on Jersey. the river, New Jersey. So right. if I could tell you, oh, yeah, climate change is going to be really bad, and it is going to arrive in right on the river, New Jersey, on um, June 27th, 2000. 19 mm-hmm. at 7 in the morning. Okay. Um, you could do something about that. Right. You could make plans. You could take that certainty into account. And uh, House is going on the market tomorrow. Exactly. And so that would be bad. Right. But it it's not as bad as the situation we have right now where I can tell you probably bad things are going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you exactly when. I can't tell you if you've got 10 years or 30 years right. or 100 years. So so yes. what, what you said there, right there, and both of you guys can, can t- talk to me as a layperson. And this is something I really don't understand. What you just, <clears throat> what you just laid out, cool. We can't do that. I understand. However, in right on the river, New Jersey, and I'm talking in real life, this already happened, what you're talking about. It happened during the Superstorm Sandy, mm-hmm. and I can show you pictures of the neighborhood like that I have like on my computer where we're talking waist-deep water, okay? But then 
uh, people will say, well, we can't say specifically that that was climate change. And so that becomes, I believe, confusing to a lot of people. Well, it is confusing. But I mean, the thing is, what, what, what we can say, and hopefully our climate scientists will back me up here, is that that kind of thing will happen more often. Okay. Um. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the way I talk about Sandy is Sandy flooded the subways and that yeah. in New York was the worst consequence. Yes. Um, if you look at sea level rise under kind of a mid-range scenario, by the middle of the century, the subways are going to flood every 10 years. And by the end of the century, the subways are going to flood every year. Wow. Every year, water in the subway system. Um, and obviously, you know, that every 10 years, that's not going to be regular. So it's not going to be like, oh, it's a subway flooding year. Um, <laughs> right. right. You know, exactly. A few more months till subway yeah. flood. Exactly. <laughs> what are you doing for subway flood this year? <laughs> How are you celebrating subway flooding? What are you going to wear? <laughs> yeah, the wife and I got a raft this year. <laughs> right. So, you know, we, we're not going to have that regularity, you know, but uh-huh. we are going to see these things happen more and more often. But there's still going to be that aspect of randomness to it. So now what you just said, I saw a commercial the other day, and I think his name is Dennis oh, Hastert or something. No, Dennis Hastert. I forget. He used to be the black president on 24. That's all I know. Okay. Dennis Hastert, I think his name is. But And he's on those commercials. And he's on the commercial. commercials. Thank you. Yeah. It's an insurance commercial. Yeah. I don't know if this is a real fact that he throws out, but he was like, a 500-year storm is supposed to happen every 500 years. Well, we've already had 20 in this decade alone. And I'm like, wow, here's an insurance company that's marketing climate disruption. Mm-hmm. They are marketing that. Like, hey, man, if you really need somebody to count on, and you can, first of all, what they're saying implicitly is, you can count on the fact that climate change is real. Right. And the second thing they're saying is, and if you want to count on somebody to help pay for the damage that is definitely going to happen, then you need to go with us. Exactly. I don't care whether you call them deniers or skeptics, confused people. There are no confused people in the insurance industry. Wow. Right, right. They've got a vested interest. Wow. (laughs) And if... If climate change was not real, if there was any doubt about that, somebody could come along and undercut all the competition by selling really cheap insurance policies. And nobody is doing that. What a... Right. So they, they're putting their money where, where, the, where the science is. Exactly. Yeah. So if you don't believe scientists, like, believe the market... Wow, that is really... And there are other, you know, so-called conservative vested interests, too. The military, they're taking climate change really seriously. They don't want their bases, their coastal base, naval bases destroyed. You know, a lot lot of, uh, you know, other than the fossil fuel industry, a lot of so-called conservative institutions are actually taking this pretty seriously. Okay, okay. You know, um, this is really fun, and we should keep going, but I also think we should make sure and make some time for uh, some cosmic queries because we've been getting some um, some uh, questions okay. from our uh, listeners um, who are interested in this topic. Oh, yeah. So I, um, I have cosmic uh, queries here. Yeah, I, truthfully, I just enjoyed getting knowledge from you guys personally. So I was being a little selfish. I was I was never going to the cosmic queries. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get to our first cosmic query, which we always take a Patreon patron first because they give us money. And I, hey, that's 
reason enough for me. All right. And this is Jacob Casey from Buffalo, New York. And he says, fully accepting that human behaviors are contributing to climate change dramatically. Was this inevitably going to happen sometime in the distant future anyway? How distant would that have been? And is there something that we can do to start freezing those caps? Again, a lot packed in there. But is there any modeling for what would happen if we did not have uh, 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 um, greenhouse effects happening? What would happen if we like? So, what would happen if so, we didn't exist? No, I, yeah, basically, yeah. So, that's a, um, that's the real question. What would yeah. what would in, happen if we didn't a, exist? That's a legit question. In yeah. five billion years, the sun will die, um, right? So mm-hmm. the sun yeah. will expand. Even into, even before that, the sun will heat up enough so that in uh, probably less than two billion years, um, the Earth will experience a dramatic warming due to uh, just the slow increase in solar luminosity. But that's a long time. I mean, the whole human race has been here for, um, you know, less than a million years. So that's more than a thousand times that length of time uh, is, is the time scale in which you have to worry about that. Interesting. But it's also true that left to its own devices, the climate does fluctuate. And that if we waited long enough, there would be um, a period of global warming um, without us. It's just that... Um, you know, no civilization would be here to be threatened by it. <laughs> That's a good point because, you know, climate change has happened before. People okay. like to tell scientists that, like, oh, the All climate's already. And I'm like, we know, we told you that. <laughs> um, because we understand climate changes that have happened in the past. They happen because of volcanoes. They happen when the Earth wobbles a little bit in its orbit. Right. Um, and those things will happen in the future. Um, but the thing that's really scary about human-caused climate change is it's happening so fast on geologic timescales. The Earth has never heated up this quickly quickly. before. And it's also happening at a time where we've created this civilization that's maxed out the carrying capacity in all these other ways. We're dependent on this agricultural system that has very little tolerance for changes in productivity. Mm -hmm. We've developed these coastal areas that have very little tolerance for changes in sea level. So we've made ourselves very fragile at the same time as we're conducting this ridiculously rapid experiment in changing all these parts of the planet. So all that together is not a recipe for a happy future if we keep going. Wow. So, you know, before we go into another question, I think if, if you guys would, just between the two of you, for the sake of the conversation, can you kind of give us a breakdown? I still think that is confusing to people when you say climate change, period, because of what you guys just said, which is due to whatever factors, the climate has changed before naturally. And this is completely different. So what is happening? How are we heating the earth? Why is it happening? How do we know? So that's the, I want the who, what, when, where, and why. Okay, <laughs> That's what I need so that, so that we can have like, you know, a better understanding of what we're talking about. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I will try to do this as quickly as possible because this is, this is the subject of the, um, the previous IPCC report, which is like a jillion pages long. I mean, Kate could um, easily give an hour long lecture and just be scratching the surface. <laughs> All right, so this, let, let me see how quickly I can give do us this. the abstract here. <laughs> um, so, um, the way we get energy from fossil fuels 
is through combustion. Um, and the energy-giving reaction that that is gives off carbon dioxide as its natural byproduct. So that carbon dioxide has to go somewhere. We're not just putting it in a basement. We're putting it in the atmosphere. Um, we have measured an increase in carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. That's You might have heard of the Keeling curve, which is this famous measurement of atmospheric carbon dioxide from a mountaintop in Hawaii. So we know that we are using a lot of carbon dioxide, emitting a lot of it, and we know that it's building up in the atmosphere. We know that carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas, which means that it traps heat. Okay. That's just sort of the basic physics. Um, if we're wrong about that, we're wrong about like all of physics and chemistry, which we could be, and that would be super exciting, but we would have to go back and like basically start science again from the drawing board. Um, so we're emitting carbon dioxide. It's piling up in the atmosphere. It's a greenhouse gas. What greenhouse gases do is they trap heat. They are trapping heat. The earth is getting warmer. Um, we've observed the earth getting warmer. Um, now, you you mentioned that other things can change the climate. So, for example, if the sun was suddenly getting really, really hot, that would make it warmer. But I work at NASA, and, like, if the sun was getting hotter, like, we wouldn't notice. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not. Um, if the Earth was wobbling in its orbit, we would notice. Mm -hmm. And it's not. Mm -hmm. If there were giant volcanic eruptions all over the planet that were spewing massive amounts of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, mm -hmm. we would probably notice. Like somebody living close to a volcano would notice. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> we're, we're not. Th that's not happening. Okay. So – are you you're, uh, wait? Are you going more? Is there more to the to that? I can talk for hours. Okay, so thank now you for wait. interrupting me. No, no. So here we go because I'm <laughs> I'm seriously like breaking this down mm -hmm. on like a kid level, yep. just so I can get this information. Right. All right. Because you're helping me right now, be able to talk to other people. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, because sometimes it's difficult to 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 explain, and I'm sure for the listeners, it's difficult to explain to people what you mean yeah. because they don't get it. So you would like okay, one combustion, we're burning two. Carbon gas, it's going in. It's piling up in the atmosphere because we're not putting it anywhere. Three, trapped heat. That's trapped into our atmosphere. That's causing warmer. Exactly. So, boom, yep. one, two, three, four. Yep. That's it. Okay, that's simple. Yep. Mm -hmm. Now, here's my next question for both of you. So what? Yeah, well. <laughs> so what? It's yeah. get the, we're heating up yeah. the earth. So what? Yeah, and in the in the um, 30 seconds we have left. Oh, fuck. Oh, oh <laughs> sorry. <laughs> frack. You mean frack. Oh, frack. Oh, frack. Before, be, before we take a break, the, the, the so what is that um, we can tell that's having consequences. It's raising sea level. It's causing storm intensity to rise. It's changing precipitation. It's causing droughts. It's causing wildfires. It's making the sea ice go away. It's threatening more extreme changes. Okay. Um, people are going to be displaced. People might go hungry. Uh, there's going to be conflict. Uh, you know, we could go on. But, I mean, the thing is, your original question gets to the fact that climate change itself is normal. The greenhouse effect is normal. But we are changing things in an unprecedented way that threatens our own ability to exist well as a civilization on this planet, not to mention our fellow travelers, the other species we share this biosphere with. Nice. And it's that rapid, unprecedented change which is new and scary. On that light note, um, <laughs> we're going um, to uh, take, take a break, um, and uh, we'll be back in a few minutes with some more um, Cosmic Queries and some more Star Talk All-Stars. Welcome back to Star Talk All Stars. I'm David Grinspoon, aka Dr. Funky Spoon, 
your all-star host, and I'm here with my capable and occasionally very funny co-host, <laughs> Dr. Chuck Nice. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Funky Spoon. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you are funny, Chuck, but a lot of times you also strike me as really smart, and that's one thing that, you know, gets downplayed in uh, in, in the celebration of, of your hilarity, and that's why I like to refer to you as Dr. Chuck Nice. Well, that's very kind of you, um, and I'm sure I'm, I'm so happy that you are the person that thinks that. <laughs> At least one person does. Exactly. And joining us today is NASA scientist and science writer, Dr. Kate Marvel. Uh, and, and Kate, we were just, uh, right before the break, uh, you were um, laying out the basic facts of uh, climate change and why we should worry about it. And then um, right before we went to the break, Chuck asked, so what? Who cares? Why should we care? And I wanted to give you a chance to uh, to weigh in on that. I actually feel like that's a... That's a valid question, because when we talk about climate change, a lot of times we're talking about changes to the average temperature of the planet. But like literally nobody experiences the average temperature of the planet. And it's it's going to be winter soon in New York. And I a couple degrees warming sounds really good in the winter. Um, and so that's why I think climate change is kind of a better word for what's happening than global warming, because the climate that we've kind of built our civilization around is changing. So, you know, we have agriculture where it is because of climatic conditions. We eat what we eat because the climate allows us to grow these things. Um, we have our transportation networks because that's where rivers are and, you know, they're this full. We have our cities built on the coast. Um, so, so much of our civilization is built kind of assuming really stable climate conditions. And that's because just by coincidence, human civilization has developed during this geological period of really, really stable climate conditions. Yeah. And so we don't really think about climate change because we don't really think about climate. We've never had to. Wow. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, and, and it's, it adds to this sense of uncertainty that, you know, we're doing our best to predict what the consequences are. But, yeah, so much of the, the foundation of our civilization and our lifestyle and the way we live is uh, accommodated by this stability of the earth that's been a fact of life as long as we've been here building cities and building civilization. Mm -hmm. And we we probably haven't even anticipated all the changes that are coming. There's It's a lot more than just global warming. I mean, one one thing we haven't even mentioned is all the CO2 in, in the atmosphere. Uh, you, the oceans are becoming more acidified, and we're going to lose our coral reefs almost surely, it looks like now. And, you know, that's sad in and of itself, but we also don't really know what that does to the ocean ecosystem right. that we depend on for a lot of protein, you know? And so there are all these potential... Um, unanticipated consequences as well as the ones that we've laid out. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's super uh, just, I'm, oh God, I'm dumb. I'm gobsmacked right now. <laughs> it's like, uh, well, then let's, let's uh, quick, let's change the subject and go to, go to, cosmic go to another queries. Cosmic queries. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, this is um, Michael Patterson from uh, coming, from, coming from Facebook. Um, now, this is a little bit more positive. He says, uh, and by the way, um, before I go to Michael's questions, just let me say that this question is brought to you by My Radar, the world's most popular weather app. Michael wants to know this. Is there anything we can do to play our part instead of waiting for politicians to stop debating if climate change is real or not? And I think that's an extremely conscientious question. 
What 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 can we do? What uh, people do that all the time. Well, what can I do? I can't do anything. So what can we do? I think I wish I had a good answer to this question um, because at parties and stuff, when people find out I'm a climate scientist, they're like, "Oh, I recycle," um, <laughs> which is which is just strange. But <laughs> but I mean, I think. There's so many people of goodwill out there who just really want to do something. Um, and, and I just love the fact that it's like, I'm a climate scientist. Oh, I recycle. Right. It's just like, I'm a comedian. Hey, do you know a good proctologist? <laughs> but, I mean, I think that's the challenge of climate change is that it really is this big systemic problem that's really difficult to wrap your mind around. Um, and so there's this temptation. I think a lot of people give into it to, to sort of moralize and be like, oh, if only you were a better person and you never ate meat and you never drove and you never had any fun whatsoever, we wouldn't be in this predicament. And that's not true. Um, this is a really, really large problem. And it's it's because of this is the way we've built our civilization. This is where we get the energy that we need to live. And so individual actions might sort of build a groundswell for collective action, but you can basically, whatever you do is not going to have a giant impact. What you can do is you can vote and you can make this into an issue that politicians have to care about. You can make them earn your vote. Mm. Yeah, I like that. I mean, there's a, it's a systemic issue, uh, which means, you know, there are policy and, and um, you know, there are aspects of how we run our civilization that need to change, which are uh, individual action doesn't add up to changing that. And I, I like the way you put it because it can add to a groundswell. We need to change our mindset. And so things like people talk about, oh, plastic straws, that doesn't do anything. There's a drop in the ocean. Well, yeah, but if, if we get used to thinking that way and then we think that way about lots of things and we vote that way and speak that way, then it, then it does add up. So um, uh, it's, hmm. I think we need both. We need individual action. We need to change our, um, our, our individual practices. But that's, that's necessary but not sufficient. But that can contribute along with voting and changing policy to this overall change in consciousness where we ultimately have to realize that we're part of a planetary system mm -hmm. and we're changing a planetary system. And we cannot go back to pretending that we're not. I mean, climate change isn't even going to be the only one of these problems. I mean, uh, you know, we've entered the Anthropocene, a time when humans are, are, are players in the, the planet. And, you know, we have to learn how to act that way. And that mm -hmm. involves individual action and policy. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. That's excellent. Um, you got any, got I've got another one Chuck? for you. Let's yeah. move on. Um, this is Moth Mama from Instagram. Moth Mama asks this, what makes climate change so controversial? And what are the common misconceptions of climate change? Um, I'll let you guys handle that. I mean, I, I mean, you guys are scientists. Yeah. I mean, I could jump right in there and say exactly what makes it controversial. Because, yeah. And then everybody would get pissed yeah. off because I'm well, part of the reason why it's controversial. <laughs> <laughs> It's your fault. It's Chuck. my fault. <laughs> At least we've identified the the evil witch here. Exactly. Yeah. No. I mean, those are two different questions, and they're both good ones. Mm -hmm. um, what makes it so controversial, Kate? Oh, that's a. I mean, that is not a question for a scientist because I don't think it's controversial. Um, I think it's it's pretty clear. 
Um, there are so many different lines of evidence that say that this is happening. Um, but why is it politically controversial? Why are people really reluctant to believe this? Um, I think because it does necessitate systemic change. And there are a lot of people who don't want systemic change, mm -hmm. who like the system the way it is. Um, Can they, we get the OJs playing in the background right now? Money, 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 money. Money. Yes. <laughs> Way to go, Dr. Funky Spoon. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> right, but you know, I think that is the root cause of everything, but it's it's spiraled out. And so there are a lot of people for whom it's become an identity issue. You know, they're like, I don't want to be the kind of person who believes in climate change wow. because I don't like the people that I see telling me that this is an issue. And that's been fomented, I have to say, um, successfully. And, I, you know, I don't want to get too much into conspiracy theories here, but there has been a conspiracy of sorts. Um, and, and it's documented now that some of the uh, economic interests that uh, felt themselves threatened by uh, some of the consequences of society taking this seriously decided to try to sow doubt about this. And then, that, and then it um, morphed into this kind of tribal issue, which is really unfortunate because now people identify as one of these people or one of those people. Um, and, and then the truth gets clouded, which is too bad because as you say, as a scientist, it's not really controversial. It's, it's still, as a scientist, it's still tricky trying to figure out what the choice, some of the choices that should be made societally because there's trade-offs between different kind of energy and so forth. But the fact that we need to act and make these choices is not at all controversial. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll, I'll have a follow-up question with you. I won't give this person's name or their website, but saw this program. It's 42 minutes long online where a guy says that you two are insane. And his primary reason behind it is because you're getting so much money from the government. He's, I swear. He's specifically saying that Kate, Kate <laughs> and I are insane. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Nicely that, done. that was a pretty cool Maserati you uh, drove up in, Kate. I mean, I know, <laughs> oh my gosh, government money so much. So great. <laughs> I don't know how, what, how to spend it all. Yeah, the government so just keeps making it rain on yeah. me. Yeah, but no, I mean, honestly, it's, 42 It's minutes. pretty funny. I mean, you know, all we can do is laugh <laughs> because we know how, how scientists, uh, government-funded scientists live. And I think if this person ever, like, you know, went to one of our houses or you know, they would be disabused of this notion. I think we need to be more sensitive to the very poor people working as oil and gas executives. <laughs> they're, they're, they're the real victims here. Yeah, and they are threatened by all this and, and I, I feel for them, man. <laughs> That's very funny. That is very funny. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's move on to Eric Varga from Facebook. And Eric uh, says this. Using current observations and or projected climate models, what is more of an immediate threat to human survival, runaway greenhouse effect or the global ocean conveyor stops circulating? So I don't to be honest, I don't know what the global ocean conveyor is. I can surmise, yeah. but I don't know. Let's break that into two parts. I'm going to let Kate talk about the global ocean conveyor. But let me quickly say runaway greenhouse specifically refers to something that happens on planets. Mm -hmm. It happened to Venus okay. where um, 
there's so much global warming that the oceans basically evaporate right. because of a feedback where the, the water vapor itself, which is a greenhouse gas, starts heating up the planet more and then it runs away. That is not something that we're in danger of having happen to Earth, okay. which is a good thing because that would uh, definitely make uh, all life on Earth impossible. Um, so that phrase – now maybe this person just, just means – global warming, which is a threat. But specifically, the phrase runaway greenhouse means something scientifically that is not uh, threatened on Earth. So let's go to the other part, though. What, w w tell us about this global, uh, this conveyor problem. Right. So uh, they're absolutely right that um, a, the ocean is a big conveyor belt. It's transporting energy and momentum all around the globe. Mm -hmm. um, and the ocean is actually really important in regulating the climate. Um, you know, for example, England is really, really far north, but it's, it's not like Siberia. It's not freezing. And a lot of that is because of the Gulf Stream. That really determines the weather there. Okay. Um, now, there is, um, there's been some concern, particularly in the media, that with climate change, we could slow down that ocean circulation or significantly change it. Um, I, that's possible. Um, I don't think it's very likely that we will just shut down the ocean circulations. Um, I think there is a lot to be worried about before that happens. Um, that said, there is, it's still a controversial theory in the scientific community, but there's, there's some evidence that warming up the Arctic, um, so the Arctic is warming faster than the rest of the planet for various reasons. Okay. But if we warm up the Arctic, that messes with the jet stream, that messes with, you know, the, the, system that determines the weather in the mid-latitudes where a lot of us live. Right. Um, and so there's a hypothesis that that is kind of causing these really big swings from, you know, freezing cold winters, really warm summers. It's just making the weather weirder. Um, and so that's something that I think does have much more support in the scientific community, although the, the jury's kind of still out on how solid that is. Okay. It's all horribly complex um, when you start getting into topics like that and, and therefore very difficult to predict in theory. So it's a, a much better idea to not push the system and not try and not find out. Yeah, like let's um, not find that out actually. Yeah, exactly. I, would, I would be happy never yeah. knowing that. Yeah, exactly. Hey, so we're, we're almost out of time. Oh, but no. before we end, I want to ask you quickly, Kate, what keeps you going? What gives you hope or enough hope so that um, so that you don't just curl up in a ball in the morning and then <laughs> and decide not to get out of bed? How, how do you know I didn't curl up in a ball in the morning? <laughs> well, you're um, here. <laughs> true, true. Um, I feel like people forget that climate science is still science. Um, and so it's still this thing where you can be really curious and you find out things that are really amazing. Um, like it just never ceases to blow my mind that we live on this perfect, amazing planet. Um, I, I started out as an astrophysicist, um, and so I kind of studied the entire universe. I was a cosmologist. And then I kind of realized, like, this is really the only good place in the whole universe. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, just the fact that dust from the Sahara fertilizes the Amazon rainforest. Everything is so connected, wow. and that's so beautiful. I love that. We do live on a perfect, beautiful planet. Let's try to keep it that way. <laughs> and on that note, we're going to have to wrap it up. Wow. That's it for this episode of Star Talk All-Stars. Big thanks to my co-host, Chuck Nice. Such a pleasure. And thank you to Dr. Kate Marvel for stopping by to talk to us. Oh, thank you. I've been your host, David Grinspoon, Dr. Funky Spoon. And until next time, keep it funky. <laughs>